All right. How many of you are hungry? Yeah, that's a good, good uh, intro video to roll right before uh, we sit down to talk. So uh, if we can take your mind off food for just a few seconds uh, over the next few minutes, we're just going to talk about over this cor- the course of this series for the next three weeks, what are the secret parts of what make relationships work? What are the things that cause relationships to flourish with each other right here in this body, in your family, uh, with your friends, with your neighbors, coworkers, people you recreate with, um, people that you're around all the time? What are the secret ingredients, the things that actually make our relationships flourish? And so we're going to be talking about that. And today we're going to be jumping off and introducing this series by talking about acceptance, because this is a great place to launch. And one of the reasons that it's a great place to launch is because I think as people of faith and and that's most of us in this room. And if, you, if, if you're just exploring faith, we're glad you're here too, because this is totally, this is totally relevant for you as well. Um, but you probably don't struggle with this as much as people of faith do. And that's really unfortunate because those of us who are, who are, who are people of faith actually have more reason to be really, really good at acceptance. And yet we can be very poor at it. And the, and the reason that we struggle with this, and, and we're going to jump off, we're going to talk about this. The reason that we struggle with this is because we blur the lines between God's standard and our own. We blur the lines between what God expects of humanity or what God would hope for humanity and his reaction to it. We struggle between, the, between that theological underpinning and we, we struggle then with how we are to relate to that. And what happens is quite often as people of faith, the longer that you become a follower of Jesus, is suddenly God's standards sort of become yours. And, and you begin to adapt that. And that's not, that's not wholly a bad thing. That, that really is a good thing that you begin to, to adopt and to integrate into your life, the teachings of Jesus. But, but remember when you do it, that you do it under, under the umbrella of mercy. You, you do it under the umbrella of grace in your life. And, and the problem is, I think the, the longer we follow Jesus, the more we get distant from that experience of mercy and grace. To the point at which we start to think that God's standards are synonymous with our own. And we so integrate them into our lives, we forget that they're actually His and we start to think that they're ours. And then when we look out on the world and we see that people don't meet the standard that God would have, slash our standard, we tend to not accept. But the amazing part about our Heavenly Father is that although He maintains a standard for our lives and He has for us an ideal about the way life should work and and flourish in relationship with one another, um, even though He has all that, He provided a way for there to be relationship with Him. And he did so through mercy and through grace and through his son Jesus. And the problem is for us, the problem is for us, is again, because those things become so integrated for us, we forget, we forget, we forget that Jesus died for the world so that God might accept the world. And we start to think that in some way it's our job to carry out God's justice in the world by not accepting people based upon their activity, their proclivity, the things that they are bent toward, their actions or their attitudes. And so we sort of just put them into a category. And what's so sad about this, what's so incredibly devastating about this, is this isn't the way God would desire our lives to work and function. As people of faith, that we are to be extensions of God's grace out in the world. That we are to be evidence of what it looks like to be acceptable to God. In such a way that we can declare and we can help other people understand that they are acceptable to God as well through the the mercy offered in Jesus Christ. And because we have forgotten that, because we have become disconnected from our mission to share that hope and that joy, we have suddenly become judges of the world. 
And we have begun to decide who's acceptable and who's not. And you see this all throughout the New Testament because as the Jewish people uh, walked in, in relationship with Yahweh and began to adopt his standard, they began to lay it over everybody else. And so you find that the religious teachers and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, this was the exact problem that Jesus had with them. This was the exact issue, that they had adopted God's standard, rightly so, but they had made it their own to the point at which they were serving it, as if that brought them acceptance. And that's the problem with us. That's the problem with the church today, is that we so much adopt God's standards, we forget. We forget that it is despite that standard that God pursued us, that God won our hearts. And it's because of that standard we realized we needed to be pursued. That we needed to be rescued. We forget that the reason the standard was there to begin with was to shed light on the fact that we don't meet the standard. And that that was really the only reason that it was there. Was to enlighten us to the fact that we needed our Heavenly Father and we needed mercy and we needed grace and we could never live up to any standard God would have for us. As a matter of, as a matter of fact, every single one of us in this room, if we are followers of Jesus, we need to realize right now and just come to a place of humility we need to realize right now that not only do we not meet God's standard, the standard you have set for your own life you don't even meet. Do you? And I try to set the bar pretty low for me. I, I really do, and I still don't meet it. Right? We're, none of us are the weight we want to be. We set a standard, we say, this is the weight I'd like to be, and so we're going to diet, we're going to exercise, we're going to be disciplined, and none of us are at that standard. And maybe some of us have the standard, okay, next time, when I get engaged in this, this talk, when I get engaged in this relationship, in this discussion, I am not going to get angry. I mean, how many times have we sworn to ourselves, the next time we met that situation, we're not going to lose our tempers? And yet we do. Or the next time I'm not going to whatever, you fill in the blank for you. You have a standard for your life, and you've not even met it. You see, you and I, we, we so desperately need God's grace. We so desperately need God to act on our behalf. And we just forget that. And this entire world, everybody around us, everybody we run into is in the same boat. We're in the same place. The problem, I think, for, for us as people of faith is that we think that if we accept, that means we approve. We've somehow joined the two together and we've, we've made this decision that when it comes to that son or that daughter that is living a life in the way which, which we would desire they wouldn't, and we would hope more for them if it's a, a parent or a grandparent or or a sibling, or a child, or whatever that situation is. In that moment, in that moment, you would hope more for them. And we connect acceptance with approval. And, and the problem is, is that Jesus accepted every single person he came into contact with, and then what was he accused of? Approving. And we don't, we don't want that, right? As people say, we don't want those connections. But if we want Jesus... We are going to have those connections. If Jesus was accused of it, then that's okay. I'm okay being accused of that as well. I think I'd rather people accuse me of actually approving than of not accepting. And so we're going to jump in. We're going to talk about this. Let's dig down deep. Let's talk about acceptance for a minute, okay? Jumping off there, a couple of things I want you to understand. And that's, first of all, that we are shaped by acceptance or rejection. You and I are the culmination sitting here this morning listening to this talk, being engaged in this conversation, you and I are the culmination or the shaping of somebody's acceptance or rejection. Whether that was a parent or a grandparent or a significant other, a foster system, a governmental system, 
Whatever the area or sphere of influence in your life growing up and in your formative years, we are really shaped by, our, by, by acceptance being expressed to us or by rejection being accepted, uh, expressed to us. And here's where I want to just pause and I want to say this. If today you are a person who has experienced a good deal of rejection, okay? First of all, I would want to say that your Heavenly Father loves you and accepts you just the way you are. And He is pursuing your heart and He loves you and He doesn't in any way not accept you. Because He sent His Son so He could. And the hope for you today, the hope, and I just hope you hear this through the lens of rejection that you've experienced your entire life, is this church wants to accept you as well. And the problem for us as people of faith, as I've already confessed for all of us, is that we really struggle with this. So here's what we need from you. Here's what we need. If you've experienced rejection, and that is sort of the lens through which you see relationship, and so you're a little sensitive to it, and you're getting engaged in church life, and you're starting to think, do they accept me? Do they not? Just let me say before you, we want to accept you. We want to accept, we want to accept every single person in this room. We just struggle with it. And, and so we're confessing to you that as imperfect as you are, we're imperfect too. And I would apologize on behalf of our entire congregation if you have experienced rejection from us. We don't want that. That's not who we are. But we're also in need of God. We're in need of our Heavenly Father. And so if you'd just have a little grace with us, that'd be great. And so if you've experienced rejection at the hand of another Christian or at the voice of another Christian, we would just apologize for that as well. They don't speak for all of us. And here's the thing. If you experienced a good deal of acceptance, that's really great. But the problem with accepting, experiencing a lot of acceptance, and here's the downside of that, is that we fail to be sensitive to those who've only experienced rejection. And so if you experienced a good deal of acceptance, you had a very healthy family growing up, you had wonderful parents or grandparents or whoever was involved in raising you, and they showed you a good deal of acceptance and you felt like you belonged all the time, we can take for granted that lots of people don't. That lots of people don't feel like they belong. They, they feel like outsiders. Even when, even when entirely they're insiders. Like, it, it's so amazing to me. Sometimes I sit with folks who are so integrated in the life of this church and they still feel like they're on the outside. And it's because of this lens of rejection. And so part of our healing comes when we realize that not only are we accepted by God, but we are accepted by God's people. So we are shaped by acceptance or rejection. All of our lives are shaped that way. And so are the people around us. Their lives are shaped by acceptance or rejection. And the truth of it is, is that we are really attracted to acceptance, aren't we? We're attracted to acceptance. We run from rejection. We are attracted to acceptance. When we get around people who accept us for just who we are, without any expectation of change or transformation, even though we're working on some things, we're trying to give diligence to some things, we're really attracted to people who put their arm around us and just accept us for who we are. And this is the model by which Jesus lived his life. He knew that in coming to a, to a creation that could not live up to God's standard, let alone their own, that they would be attracted. The creation would be attracted to acceptance. And so Jesus came and he accepted people. He just, he just sort of got around them and he befriended them and he lived with them and he ate with them and he talked with them and he knelt down to them and he just accepted them, it seems. And people are attracted to that. And God knows that. God knows how to win our hearts and our minds. He created us after all. He knows the desires of our hearts. He knows what we need. He knows that we desire to be accepted. To know that we fit in. To know that we have a place. 
to know that we have a standing. And so that is true of every one of, the, of us in this room, even the most independent, uh, free-spirited, kind of disconnected of us, which I really think at the root of it is a huge experience of rejection. So we'll just sort of be independent and I don't need anybody, which I think is early experience in childhood of rejection. Even the, even the most sort of independent, fiercely kind of independence of us. We need, to, we need to know kind of at the deepest parts of who we are that, that we're accepted. That people, people care about us. And that, that our Heavenly Father looks at us and, and smiles and doesn't frown. I, I think we all want to know that deep down. I, I think we all want to know we're accepted just for who we are with all our struggles and some of the things that seems like we can never get straightened out and we're completely messed up and it seems like there's never enough years in our life to ever get to the standard we would hope for ourselves. I think we in our years to come, ought to give ourselves a little mercy and create a room for God to show us that He loves us just the way we are. And although He's about bringing us through sanctification, He's about helping us walk deeper ways with Him, we'll never become who we want to be or who He would hope we would be on our own. We just won't. We need Jesus in that. You know? And I think about my life, and I think as good as I'm living my life, as, as much as I'm trying as hard as I can, that, that there is still a huge gap between the man that I feel like I am and the man that God would hope I would be. And, and it seems insurmountable, and you know what? In a lot of ways it is, and that is the fallenness of who I am and is the desperation with which I need God in my life. I need my Heavenly Father to bridge that gap to fill up what I'm not. And I think as we live our lives, we find out that, that we really do need the mercy of Jesus more than we need anything else in our entire lives. And to know, to know deep down the inner recesses of who we are, that we're accepted. We're drawn to that. I mean, imagine a church and a community that was so much about accepting people. That people would flock. I mean, they, they, just be, they would be flocking. The problem is for us as people of faith is that we don't do this real, real well. We just don't. We've got to get better at it. Jesus was really good at it. We're going to look at Romans chapter 15 as Paul wrote to the church, and he says this, We who are strong, all right, you pick an area you're strong in, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. Now here's the problem. Here's the problem for us. Have you ever noticed you are most judgmental toward people who are failing in areas at which you are succeeding? You ever notice that? Oh, look at them. Look at what they're doing. Why do they do that? Have you, have you ever noticed that when you see somebody, you meet somebody who's struggling with the same thing you're struggling, all of a sudden kind of judgment washes away and this kind of compassion fills up a little bit? Isn't that interesting? And so, so why do we get so bowed up? Why do we get so built up and judgmental toward people who are struggling with something that we're actually really good at? Because we've lost touch with the areas that we aren't. And we think that we have a corner on the market, and why don't they? You know, one of the things I don't struggle with, I don't struggle with alcoholism. I've never had a problem with it. Grew up in a house where I saw it practiced. I went to Episcopal Church where they actually gave you real wine. It kind of burned my throat as it went down as a kid. I loved it, you know. It's just an amazing thing. But I've never struggled with alcoholism. But I meet people that have. And I think the tendency, the, the, the problem with us as people of faith is that we can look at them and we can say, why do they struggle with that? Why can't they just get their act together? Why do they keep throwing everything away for it? But then I look at another area of my life and I say, oh my 
goodness, I, I can't let go of this thing. It feels like it's got a hold on me. And all of a sudden I'm humbled and I realize as, as much as a struggle as this is for me, that is for them. And we all need Jesus. And so Paul's saying, where are you strong? Now, not all of us are strong in every area, but where are you strong? And so I just ask you that question today. I, I ask you, church, where are you strong? Where are you strong? Because where we are strong, we should bear with the failings of the weak. Because we are weak in other areas. Where are you strong? Where are you doing a good job? And wherever you're doing a good job and where you are strong is where you are most apt to judge somebody else and condemn them. Just know that. All right? You want to know where you're judgmental? Look at what you're really good at. That's where you're going to be judgmental. So Paul says, don't be judgmental. Don't reject. Don't push on to other people something that you yourself can't do in another area. He says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to what? Please ourselves. Because to be honest, judging is kind of fun, is it not? Well, if it wasn't fun, you wouldn't do it. It's kind of enjoyable. And do you know why it's enjoyable? Have you ever thought about it? Makes you feel better about yourself, doesn't it? Makes you feel like you're acceptable. Makes you feel like you're justified. Judging is fun. Yeah. It would, we wouldn't do it if it wasn't fun. If we didn't enjoy it, if we didn't get something out of it. We get something out of it. A sense that we belong and they don't. And you know why? Because you need to be accepted. I think sometimes the most judgmental people don't feel accepted. Why else would you do it? And so Paul says... We are to do this not to please ourselves. This is not what it's about. Continuing, he says, each of us should please our neighbors for their good. To build them up. The whole point, he says, that if we are strong in an area, to bear with and uh, maybe even encourage those who are weak isn't for ourselves. We are to do it for their good. To build them up. But see, I think we're really good at tearing people down in areas, by the way, where they know they're failing. Like, that's helpful. Like, they're going to get their act together. Right? And we've had these conversations with our sons and our daughters and our grandkids and our parents and whoever, and we've said, you know, you better get your act together. You better shape up. Like, they don't know it. Right? Like, they don't have a clue. But we're to come and we're to bear with and we're to encourage uh, for their good, not our own, to, to build them up. Okay, continuing, he says, for everything that was written in the past, right? So now he makes note, everything that was written in the past, all of the scripture, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, not to condemn us, not to be used as a sledgehammer over the head of somebody else, not to be used as a baseball bat, but everything that was written in the past was there to teach us, to instruct us. Now, when Paul says that it's there to instruct us, that must mean that we need what? Teaching. Because we probably don't know something we ought to know. Right? So, so he says this, this was all written in the past to teach us, continuing on, 
So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures, and this, this is the first time these words are going to come up, endurance and encouragement, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. You see, because when you are stuck in your patterns, when you are stuck in your activity, when you are stuck in your attitudes, when you're stuck in the things you can't get free of, you need endurance and you need encouragement that leads to hope. What you don't need is rejection. What you don't need is another voice telling you how far short you fall of that standard. What you need is somebody to come along and through acceptance offer to you endurance and encouragement so that you might have hope. Now when it comes to relationship, don't we need endurance? We do. He said bear with one another. It's an enduring thing. It's an endurance race. This isn't a sprint. And then we need encouragement, don't we? Because bearing with one another, going through difficulty with one another, accepting one another, takes a good deal of encouragement. We need the scriptures to encourage us to do that. So that, what reason? We might have hope in that relationship. There might be something to hold on to, some glimmer, some sparkle of something that may happen. We could have hope in that relationship. See, the reason we want to reject and we want to write off is because we've lost hope. But Paul says we can have hope through the Scriptures. We don't have to reject. We don't have to write off. Because there is hope for an ideal future through Jesus. Continuing, may the God who gives endurance, and these two words come again, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude. The same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. And so here's the question. What is the attitude? Okay, The endurance and encouragement leads to hope in our lives so that we may have the same attitude, see the world through the same lens, see people the way Jesus saw them. How did he see them? I just have a question for you. Did Jesus, let's bring that up, did Jesus choose to make a point or build a bridge when it came to your life? When it came to the ministry that he carried out in the Gospels as they're recorded, did he choose to make a point with people? Did he choose to say, here, I'm going to make a point. You are in sin. It's your fault. Stop choosing it. You're wrong. Did he he walk around and point his finger and say, "You're you're wrong, 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 and yes, even you in the back, you are wrong. Now, everybody come follow me. No, no, come on. Come follow me. Come follow me and learn who, who the Heavenly Father is. If Jesus didn't walk around point and say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you don't know what you're doing, you're stupid, you don't belong, now come follow me. He didn't do that. He didn't choose to make a point. He He chose to build a bridge. And so here's the temptation for us in our relationships. Okay, with people that we so want to reject, with people that we're just disgusted with their behavior and their attitudes and all that, when we are tempted to judge them in areas they are weak but we're strong, our temptation is to make a point. It's it's always the temptation in our arguments to make a point. If I can just say it this way, they'll get it. I, I don't know anybody who's turned their life around based on somebody making a point in their life. I just don't. Well, think about your life. Did anybody ever walk up to you and say, listen, what you're doing is horrible and you need to stop it? How many of you just turned around right then? 
Like you just stopped it. You just quit doing it. No, of course not. What, what, what you need isn't somebody to come along in your life and make a point. And Jesus knew this. You need somebody to come along and build a bridge. And that bridge comes through acceptance. That is the bridge in the relationship, is acceptance. Knowing that you are accepted. I didn't say approving. I didn't say okay with everything that's going on. But accepting a person for who they are despite what they do or think. That's the bridge that Jesus built for us. Okay, continuing in the text. So that, he says that we're to do this, have the same attitude, so that with one mind and one voice, you may what? Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so attached to this acceptance, attached to coming alongside people and, and loving them for who they are and the way they are, is the glorification of our Heavenly Father. We do it out of praise to God. Why do we do it out of praise to God? Because He's done it for us. That in some way we honor the acceptance we have received by honoring others with the acceptance that we have received. That somehow connected to our acceptance is praise to our Heavenly Father by accepting other people for who they are. By extending to them that mercy and that grace that they so don't deserve. And here's the thing, I'm the first one to admit, and I would sit with you and I'd listen to your story and your gripes and your complaints about that person in your life or those people in your life that you choose to reject or would be tempted to reject, and I would agree with you on every single point. There, we could get really fired up about that, you know? You could describe it, oh, we could get angry, I'd say, yeah, you're right. They're ridiculous for what they're doing and believing. I'd agree with you 100%. But where does that get us? Where does that get us but, but rejection? You're totally justified in the way you think. Totally. But the question is, we're about to discover here real quick, is, is that how God approached us? Is that how Jesus evidenced himself to us. And, and the problem is, is the more intimately we know how Jesus evidenced himself to us and relates to us, it's so much easier to extend that to other people. And so it makes me wonder, it makes me wonder how much we really know Jesus in this area. It just causes me to think that. Continuing, next verse. Accept one another, and here we dive into it. Paul writes, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Just as Christ accepted you. What he's saying here is in the same way, to the same degree, with the same intensity, with the same intention. And so the question for us as people of faith, and again, maybe not all of you in the room are, are people of faith and you're sort of still exploring that, trying to figure the whole thing out. That's good. We're glad you're here. And you're probably, again, you're probably way better at this than we are. I just confess that to you earlier. You're probably way better at this than we are. But speaking just to people of faith here for a moment, how did Jesus accept you? How did he accept you? Let me just ask it this way. Let me ask it this way. How acceptable were you by God according to his standard? Probably not at all. I mean, was there one thing that you changed in your life before you became a follower of Jesus to know that he accepted you? It's nothing I changed. Like, the moment that God impacted my life and I had this revelation of who Jesus is and it really connected for me, and, and I decided uh, to become a follower of Jesus way back when I was a teenager, like, 
the, the five seconds leading up to that moment and the five seconds after, I didn't change a thing. I didn't do a thing. My life was the same five seconds before as it was after as far as my, my own um, ideas of my failures. No, nothing changed. Like I didn't suddenly become better. What did happen is I became forgiven in that 10 seconds. And my life actually got transformed and renewed, not because of anything I did, but because of what God did on my behalf. And he accepted me despite his standard. And, and so if God has a standard, and trust me, it's way bigger than our own, even for ourselves. If God has a standard, and he overlooked it to accept us and bring us in, and fulfilled it, shouldn't even say overlooked, more fulfilled it in Jesus, then how much more are we to extend that to other people because it's been fulfilled in Jesus for them? How much more can we extend that to other people? But, but why is the church the way it is? Why is it so judgmental? If it's experienced this, why, why is it so judgmental toward other people? It, it's almost like we think we're better. It's almost like we think that part of our source of judgment actually is because somehow we've justified ourselves. We've done the good work of cleaning our lives up. And really, that's not the way it's happened at all, has it? Because I'm really not good at cleaning my life up. It doesn't work so well. And so let me just bring you this next point, and that is that we want to win the argument when it comes to this discussion with people. Jesus really wants to win a heart. You see, Jesus, when he related to people, he wasn't so much about winning the argument. He didn't walk around, like I said, and say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. See, because he could win every argument, couldn't he? I mean, it's Jesus, right? He'd come along and he could just point fingers and say, zap, 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 you're wrong, you're wrong. You're all separated from God, all of you. You all have lost it, you've missed the standard, you're, you should all be rejected. He didn't want to win the argument. That wasn't Jesus' intention in coming to earth. He really wanted to win your heart. Jesus wanted to win your heart. And that was more important to him than any silly argument. So here's a question for you. In the people that you are tempted to reject, in the people that you have rejected, in the people for whom you need to go back and maybe do some reconciliatory work after this conversation we just had, just ask you this question. Do you want to win their heart or do you want to win an argument? Because you can't have both. You, you, you just can't. It doesn't work that way. It didn't work for us in relationship with Jesus, it's not going to work with you in relationship with the other person. So the next time you find yourselves in those conversations with people you're, you're just fed up with, just ask you that question. Do you want to win their heart or do you want to win the argument? Because you only have two choices. You can't do both. You can't do both. It's just the way it works. So he wraps all this up by saying this. He says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order in order to bring praise to God, in order to honor what God did for you. In order to honor God for what He did for you. And so in that moment, when you found a relationship with God and He accepted you wholeheartedly and you didn't actually change a thing in that moment, in that blink of an eye, extend the same to somebody else. We're glad you're here. If you've experienced rejection in your life at the hands of a church or another Christian, we're glad you're here. We accept you. We're not very good at expressing it. We're going to trip all over ourselves to do it. But know that God accepts you and know that our intention is to accept you. 
And that's our heart. Let me leave you with this. You can make a point in relationship with people or you can build a bridge. And that's really what it comes down to. You can't do both. And I think the problem for us as people of faith is we've just strayed to the side of actually wanting to make a point in our culture rather than actually wanting to build a bridge in our culture. And until we can back away and sort of distance ourselves from wanting to make a point, we need to be very humble in that transition. And we need to be more about building a bridge with people because that's what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to make a point. It came to save a world. And he could have made a point all day long and he would have been right. You know that? He would have been right. He could have walked around and said, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And you know something? He would have been right. And justified. But he didn't. Because he loves you that much. Loves me that much. And as much as he pursued you to the day you found him, he wants to pursue others in the same way. Might you have hope today in the people you are most tempted to reject? And might you receive from God a greater sense of your shortcoming, fallenness, and redemption and be so inspired and moved to extend that to other people?